Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Heart is in it, and there's such a burden on their heart for that. And uh, most Christians don't understand the burden that pastors and their wives carry on a daily basis. I saw a statistic the other day that was alarming to me that 1,700 pastors quit the ministry every month. And two out of every five are considering it. And so it is, it is, you know, it may look glamorous, him standing here and preaching to you, but it's, it's a very, very difficult thing, and they, they carry it well. And, you know, when I was reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about all the things he had gone through. Read it sometime. It's, it's I mean, shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and left for dead and uh, without food, etc. cetera. And, and then he adds at the very end, and besides all that, if that's not enough, the care of the churches, the burden of the churches, and it is a burden. And so they deserve our honor and, and especially our support to come alongside them. And yes, Aaron did a fantastic job last week. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, I'm jealous of you. I, I said, you preached without a single note. I gotta have my notes. I'm, this is, this is, I feel like that God speaks to me and I write and this is anointed, but I, I need notes. And Aaron just, I, I said, I admire that. Good, good job. We're, we're continuing in the uh, red letter <coughs> uh, messages. And so uh, I want to begin in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Forty-eight years ago, today, I knocked on her apartment door, my beautiful wife, and met her today, 48 years ago. And... Uh, we were face to face. I'd seen her from a distance and I said, I have to know her. So I, I, we, I went to her apartment door and there we were face to face. And before the end of the day or the, I'd stay there a little long and we, we hours in the morning, uh, we were touching face to face. Our first kiss, we for, and on our 40th wedding anniversary, we went back to that apartment door and stood right where we stood 40 years earlier and kissed again. Two months and ten days after I met her, we got married, and that love produced three children and 15 grandchildren. 
And God has taught me a lot through my grandchildren. Uh, for one, it's, it's wise, much wiser to have children when you're young and not when you're older. And we, that when we keep our grandchildren, we thank God that we can give them back. <laughs> and uh, thank, glad that's over with. <clears throat> but I remember one time when my oldest grandchild, Emma, uh, she, was, she was much younger than she is, 21, 21 now. Um, when she was much younger, we were keeping her one day, and she had just learned to play hide-and-seek, so she wanted Papa to play hide-and-seek with her. And so I obliged, and uh, she wasn't very good at it, but we had a, we had a blast, and she had, we had to go by her rules, and her rules were she was always the one hiding, and I was always the one seeking. <clears throat> and um, she always hid in the same place. I would sit on the couch and uh, in the living room, the kitchen was just in the next room. There was just a bar that separated the two, very open space there. So I would hear her go into the kitchen, open the pantry door, and close it. So I knew exactly where she was. And I played along. I, I would walk into the kitchen and open strange places like the refrigerator. Emma, are you in the refrigerator? <clears throat> and she would say from the pantry, no, Papa. <laughs> and so I would open up the cabinet. Emma, are you in the cabinets? And she'd say, and she'd giggle, and she'd say, no, Papa. Are you in the oven? No, Papa. And finally, I would act frustrated, and I would say, I give up. I guess I'll never find you. To which she would respond, I'm in here, Papa. I'm in the, I'm in the pantry. At which point, I would open the door, and she would, I would act surprised, and she would giggle, and we would hug each other, and we would do that whole routine over and over and over again. But as that was happening, as I said, God often speaks to me through my grandchildren. As that was happening, God dropped two things in my heart. And the, the first thing was, she wanted to be found. Emma wanted to be found. We all want to be found. Yeah. We don't want to be lost. Yeah. We don't want to be abandoned. We don't want to be left alone in the dark. And so out of the depths we cry, I'm here, I'm here, I'm in the pantry, I'm, I'm, here I am, God. But the second thing God showed me was God also wants to be found. And the Lord reminded me of a verse in Jeremiah 29, verse, I think it's verse 14, yes. I will be found of you, or the, as the New Revised Standard Version says, I will let you find me. Isn't that good? For Emma, there was a separation. There was just a thin door that separated us. But can you imagine if that door had remained closed, it would have been sad for both of us. I want to talk about this more a little bit later. But let me go back to the last verse of our text this morning, which says something greater is here. I, re I remember when this message first came to me. Uh, now let's go ahead and go forward to the something greater is here, that line, if you don't mind. Yeah, I remember when this message first came to me a number of years ago. I, I was in San Antonio. I was taking a Sabbath day, uh, often did, and I to just to enjoy a little bit of downtime. One of my favorite things to do was to go to Barnes and Noble and uh, grab a few books off the shelf, sit down with a cup of coffee, and I would I would grab books on things I was interested in, like gardening and and grilling and rocket science and advanced trigonometry and. <laughs> 
<laughs> chemical engineering and those kinds of things. Now it's just mostly gardening and grilling. <clears throat> but I would settle into a chair and with a cup of coffee and I would just chill out. And I remember looking up at some point at the sights and sounds around me when all of a sudden these words came to me that are on the screen here, something greater is here. And as soon as those words came to me, so did an overwhelming sense of the presence of God. I just, I felt him. I, I mean, the hair on my, on my arms bristled up. As Job said, his, the hair on his neck bristled up when God came. And there was just this, I felt him all around me. And I thought, where did this come from? I mean, after all, it, it seems so strange for that to happen in this place at that time. Because after all, I wasn't in a church service with the lights dimmed and the worship team singing. I wasn't praying. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't reading religious books. That was far from my mind. I wasn't meditating on Scripture. Yet there he was. There he was, surrounding me with his amazing presence. But that seemed to be the point of these words. Something greater is here. In other words, that all along God had been there, that what had changed was I had suddenly become aware of his presence. These words, something greater is here, made me realize that wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, something greater is here. When I feel insignificant, when I'm sad, when I'm depressed, when I'm going through difficult days, I can say that something greater than all of that is here right now. But also even in the best of times, even when I think I'm doing well, when I think I'm okay, that I can say there's something even greater than this. Something greater is here. This message is simple, but it is life-changing. It is, it is an awareness that there's a dimension, that there's a king, kingdom that's near, a realm that can be touched and felt and experienced. It's called the kingdom of God. And Jesus had said at various times, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is surrounding us. But it's more than that because wherever you have a kingdom, you have a king. Wherever his kingdom is, so is its king. And the king himself, therefore, whatever you can say about the kingdom of God can be said about the king. The king is here. The king is surrounding us. The king is in our midst. And it's more real than anything that we can see or touch. It's greater than anything that we can esteem as reality, and it's here right now. Remember the story in 2 Kings when the king of Syria sent a great army of chariots and horses to surround the, the city of Dothan, but, but especially to, to capture Elisha. And remember how Elisha's servant was afraid, saying, what are we going to do? He's wringing his hands. What are we going to do? But Elisha was calm. He seemed calm. He wasn't afraid. And why is that? Because he knew, let the king of Syria send a great army. God will send a greater army. Something greater is here. He knew something greater is here. And then he prays this prayer. He says, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Bible says his eyes were open and he saw a greater army, one with chariots of fire. And that's my prayer for you and for me today. Can we ask God to open our eyes and our difficulties to see, oh Lord, can we say, oh Lord, please open our eyes that we may see? That we may always see the greater, that when we're surrounded by overwhelming odds, open our eyes to see that something is greater here, something greater is here.
How often do we fret like Elisha's servant, wringing our hands with fear and worry and anxiety, and we spend our days this way, and what am I going to do when all the while something greater is here? It's similar to the time when Jacob awakened from a dream after he had had an encounter with God, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I, and I knew it not. That's the problem. That's the real issue. I was not aware. I did not realize it. I was not conscious of it. Too often in our lives, we, we live too much of our lives letting, letting life happen to us, settling for mediocrity, getting bounced around by life. I got a mental picture of that one day. It, sometimes we're like the ball in a pinball machine, and we just react and respond, and we bounce off things. Life happens, and we just re- our, our whole life is spent just reacting to things. And letting life live us instead of us living life. Settling for ordinary when we can have extraordinary. Settling for life when we can have abundant life. Settling for mediocrity when the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Even settling for great when when something greater is here. Now, the context of this passage when we read it in the beginning, the context of this passage was that the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus and his disciples about what was going on. They were arguing about temple, the temple and its laws. And throughout most of Jewish history, the temple was a good thing. After all, it was originally God's idea, wasn't it? God himself inhabited the temple at one point. But through the years, and Ezekiel talked about this in his, in his book, uh, in his prophecy, but he talked about how that it had become lifeless, without spirit, without greatness. God was no longer the center of the temple. And according to Jesus in Matthew 24, within 40 years, the temple itself would be destroyed. And here the Pharisees were arguing about temple laws that didn't really matter. Things that God couldn't care less about and missing the greater thing the one greater than the temple. Jesus was the one the temple was pointing to. The temple was all about Jesus. Jesus was the temple. The temple was just a a type of the one who would come who would be the temple in whom God would dwell personally. Jesus was the temple and, and, and he was the real temple of God, the one in whom God dwelt fully and they were missing it. Jesus is saying, look, something greater is here, and you're missing it. You're talking about that temple when this temple is right here, right now. The true temple is right here and right now. They were, can you imagine this? They were breathing the same air as God incarnate. They were breathing the same air as God incarnate. They brushed shoulders with Emmanuel, God with us, and they were arguing about temple laws. I wonder how often we've done the same thing. We've argued and debated about trivial things when all the while forgetting the greater that is near us, King Jesus. Are we distracted with the busyness of life like Martha when Jesus is in the next room? Or Peter who on the Mount of Transfiguration wants to build huts while the King of Majest- the majestic King of Kings and Lord of Lords was there? Or the woman at the well who's talking about trivial things like well water and proprieties and things like that. And Jesus responded to her and said, if you only knew, if you only knew who is standing here right here with you right now, 
How often do we live our lives without any sense of his presence? Now, enough for the introduction. My next hour, <laughs> you know, I told Gabe, I said, that, that timer back there is my enemy. <laughs> it's your friend, but it's my, it's my enemy. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to I consider each of these words in this line, in this in this sentence, something greater is here, and, and I want to break it down for you a little bit. I'll start with the word something. I've already addressed that a little bit because we know what the something is. Uh, the NIV transla- translates it someone. It's actually in the neuter in the Greek, and so it, it should be translated something, but we understand that it's talking about something and someone, the kingdom and, his, and, and its king. So something is greater, and it's, it's okay either way. Something, someone, but something greater is here. We'll, we'll say it the way it should be translated. Something greater is here. But again, I've already addressed this, so we'll probably move on. But Jesus had said the kingdom is in your midst, which means the kingdom, the king is in your midst. But let's take, the, let's take another word. Let's take the word is. Let's take the word is, the, the verb is. And if you remember your grammar from high school, uh, the word is is in the present tense. In other words, something greater is here, not something greater was here. That would imply that we missed him. That would imply, have you ever heard someone say, you you should have been here, God was here. Oh, you should have been here because God was here. And I want to say, oh, oh, really? Where is he now? Where did he go? Listen, you're never too late. The Bible teaches that God is I am. Not I was, but I, but I am. He's not I was. He's always here. Jesus himself said, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. I will never leave you nor, nor forsake you. And the author, of, what about the Holy Spirit? That's God, that's Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit? The author of Hebrews says this, the, the Holy Spirit says today, 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 after Jacob's dream encounter with God, he makes this statement. Surely the presence, I've already mentioned this, but surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Jacob didn't, he got it right. He didn't say, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not, but surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Because it's not the here-ness of God that is the issue. It is our awareness of God that is the issue. Something greater is here, not was here, and something is here, not will be here. It is not tomorrow. I grew up in a denomination that would schedule a revival, and they would announce the dates. Revival, don't miss it, August 10th through 17th. Don't miss it. And I always thought it was odd. How can you schedule God to show up? How can you schedule a revival? And so we're going to have a revival during this week, and we expect God to show up. How can you know that God's actually going to put that on his calendar? And maybe he might be somewhere else having a revival somewhere else. Don't miss it, we say. If the Holy Spirit says today, what do you think the devil's saying? Yesterday or tomorrow? The devil wants you, wants you to be haunted by your past or wants you to put it off until tomorrow when the Holy Spirit says, today, today, today. Now, let's take the word here. Here, not over there. 
You don't have to go someplace else to experience the presence of God. God is not divided. There's not a, a big chunk of God over here and a smaller piece of Him over there. There's not more of God somewhere else. Not in Redding, California. Not in Matthews, North Carolina. Not in Sydney, Australia. No one has cornered the market on God. That's Old Testament mentality. Jesus corrected the woman at the well and she said, when she said, we Samaritans worship in this mountain, we have to go over here to find God. And you Jews say it's in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, both are wrong. It's right here. It's right here. Right here. Paul quoted the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted Moses out of the book of Deuteronomy in, in Romans chapter 10. And he said, don't say that someone has, who's going to go up to heaven or up into the skies and bring God back to us? Who's going to go across the seas and bring God to us? But he said, it's right here, right here. You don't have to go over there to get God. Now, let me explain the nearness uh, of the word here and, and just kind of take a little uh, side rabbit trail for just a moment. I want to illustrate this. Over the years, Lori and I have had the opportunity to attend a number of Broadway Across America shows in San Antonio. Along with that, we've watched uh, our daughter and her kids be involved in theater for a number of years and, and uh, watched our grandkids and her in various plays. There's something exciting about live theater, much, much more than watching it on TV or you know, watching a movie or something like that. You know, sometimes when they do the live show and, and turn it into a movie. It's just not as good as being actually there because it's live people. There's, you know, it's, it's, there's something about that. You almost feel like you're a part of it and sometimes wish you were. We've been to a few plays where they actually get the audience up and involved in, in, the, in the play. And I was thinking about this not long ago after watching a play that one of our friends had directed. Theater has a term called the fourth wall. On stage, there are three walls. There's the back wall and there's the two side walls. And, and then there's this fourth wall, this imaginary wall or barrier between the audience and the, and the actors. And the audience can see through this invisible wall and even react to the players on the stage. They can laugh with them or at them, and they can cry with them. But the actors are trained to ignore the audience. To act as though they're not there. They interact with each other on the stage and their immediate environment, but they act unconscious of the audience that is merely feet away from them. There's another phrase in theater called breaking the fourth wall, which means that there are those rare times when the actors actually communicate with the audience, when they acknowledge the presence of the audience. And sometimes that's a part of the play. And I was thinking about how well this illustrates the presence of God. We are actors on the stage of our immediate world. God is our audience. He watches with great delight through that fourth wall, with great interest, and He laughs with us, and He cries with us, and He wants to be a part of what's going on in our lives. And we, on the other hand, are so involved sometimes with the script of our lives that we are unaware of that presence. We're un conscious of that presence and of course sometimes our script does involve God we go to church and that part of our script involves God or 
Or we pray over our meals and that part of our script involves God. Or we, or we have our quiet time, our personal devotions. And all those religious cues that include God. But otherwise we remain distracted with life. And all the while God longs to be part of all of it. When we go watch our grandkids before each performance, there's a director, a female director, that would get up on stage before the play and we would hear the same mantra over and over again. We la we've laughed about it before. We could almost repeat it word for word. But one of the things she encourages the people, she says, please don't use a flash camera and turn off your cell phones. She goes on to say, because if you, flash, if you use a flash camera and, or your cell phone goes off, your kids are going to look into the audience and be distracted and hear the noise and where did that light come from? And in a similar way, sometimes, uh, sometimes God will interject himself into our routines. Sometimes he will get our attention. Sometimes he will flash the camera, do whatever he has to do to get our attention, and then we have a God moment like I did that day in Barnes & Noble. My belief is this interaction should be the norm and not the sporadic momentary times when it happens. God wants to be in, in your here and in your now, not scheduled on the calendar or worked into your busy week. I want to share one last thought uh, about the here-ness of, of God, of this sentence, something greater is here, uh, before I move on. Since this message is about acknowledging the greatness of the presence of God in our lives, let me Briefly speak to what that means as far as the intimacy of the presence of God that I think this will bless you. The, the presence of the Lord is a biblical phrase which is rich in meaning. Presence actually means, in the Hebrew, means face. Anytime you read the word face in the, in the, in the Old Testament, it's generally the word for presence. Presence is face, face is, is presence. And what is the imagery here? Think about this for a moment. When we were infants, the first thing, we begin to focus on is the face of our parents. We look, the baby begins to recognize this face, this beautiful face, the face that brings them, that takes care of them, that shares unconditional love with them and acceptance, and, and that's what the baby begins to see. And if there's a strange face sometimes, what, what do babies often do? They avert their eyes or, or they cry or they want their mom because they don't recognize that face. And there's an intimacy there. There's a hearness. It's a, that's why it's a beautiful uh, expression of the word presence is, is face. And as we grow up, we look into that face and we sort of want to grow up into that face. In other words, we want to be like, boys want to be like their dads, you know. So we grow up into that face wanting and desiring to be like what we see in a very similar way, when God created man, it seemed much, much more intimate than the rest of creation. Before God created man, everything God created day after day was created by his command. Let there be. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let the, uh, the, the waters uh, be filled. Let this happen. Let that happen. And God could speak these things and they would happen and he could do that from a distance. But when it came to man, it, it was all different. God did something he hadn't done before. He consulted with, him, with himself. He said, let us make man in our image. He talked to himself. And there, that was something new. He had never done before. And with, and with man, God draws near. With man, it's, it's hands-on. God thrusts his hands into the dirt 
and begins to carefully and intimately form this body, this, this, this human being. It was very intimate, and even more intimate. You know, if you, were, if you had someone laying on the ground, how would, you, how would you breathe into their nostrils, the breath of life? You'd have to get, get out on your hands and knees, and you'd have to, be, you'd have to press your face against theirs. And God breathed in man's nostrils the breath of life. And God's not going to create man from a distance, but he's going to come near. And man would come alive. His first breath was the breath of God. He inhaled the breath of God. That's his very first breath. And when man opens his eyes, what does he see? The first thing he sees, what does he see? The face of God. God would be right there. And man would not come into the world alone but would be surrounded with God's presence. That's what presence means. That's, that's what, we're, what, what God wants and what we want. That's presence. The Bible says God would speak to Moses face to face as a man spoke with his friend. Frequently in the scriptures we find the words make, your, make his face shine upon us. Now, I, I disagree with the word upon there, make his face shine upon us because the Hebrew preposition doesn't mean upon. It just means direction towards. And and the assumption is God is up there and we're down here. And so it would be upon if you're going to translate it thinking God is up there. But that's that's not what it says here. It's simply let your face shine towards me. In other words, I want to see you face to face. I want to see your smile. I want to see that. That's what when a person smiles, that's their shining. And, and I want to see the smile of God on me. One final note on this, and, and I don't often quote the message, but this is Eugene Peterson gets it right here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Imagine this, that God wanted to put a face with his presence. He wanted us to to see him, and, and he, needed, he needed to do that with a face. And so he gave us Jesus Christ. And finally, the word greater. Something greater is here. Who could use some greater in their life? <laughs> I can think of a lot of areas in my life I could use some greater. And uh, we're blessed because we serve a greater God. We, God, is a, God is a God of greater. Can you imagine saying, we serve a God of mediocrity? Can you imagine a song written about that? We wouldn't sing it. He's not the God of just getting by. How many of you know that greater is within your reach? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Something greater is here right now. In this room right here, right now. Something greater is here and it's within our reach. You're worried and arguing about Sabbaths and laws and temple stuff. When right now within your reach is something greater. What are you worried about this morning? What is it that's distracting you from the greater? I believe we settle for so much less. We settle for mediocrity when we have been promised abundant blessing. With God, there's always more. I love the verse, I think it's in Peter, where it says he gives more grace. How many of you could use more grace? He didn't just give you grace. That would be good enough, right? He says, I'll give you more grace. More grace. He's a more God. He promised life more abundant. And with, with God, we can always expect something greater than now. We are promised ever-increasing 
glory in 2 Corinthians 3.18. A light that shines more and more, we're told in the book of Proverbs. We are the head and not the tail, we're told in Deuteronomy. We will lend and not borrow, we're told in Deuteronomy. One of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Hebrews, uh, we find the word better 12 times. We have a better covenant, better promises, better hope, better sacrifice, better possession, better land. You fill in the blank, better everything because we have a better God, a more God, a greater God. On all of it is here and all of it is now. Something greater is here. So let me, let me as I get ready to close, let me, no matter what we face, something greater is here. No matter what we fear, something greater is here. When you feel defeated, remember, something greater is here. When you feel lonely, remember, something greater is here. When you feel insignificant, have you felt that way? As you get older, you start to feel that way. When I was in my 50s, I talked to some other guys that were about my same age, and I said, anybody feel insignificant in your 50s? And they were all shaking their head, yeah. Because you start thinking about your mortality. What have I done? What have I, have I accomplished anything? Am I, am I no longer significant? When you feel that way, remember, something greater is here. When you feel frustrated, remember, something greater is here. When you're overwhelmed, remember, something greater is here. Or when you feel outnumbered, remember, something greater is here. Everywhere you go, in every place, at every time, something greater is here. Now, this line, something greater is here, I've been leaving part of it out. Something greater than the temple is here. This is in Matthew 12, verse 6. Later on in Matthew, he says this two other times. He says, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. So he said, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon. As I was meditating on this years ago, I realized that what he's saying is, the temple uh, speaks of the priesthood. So priesthood, Jonah's the prophet, Solomon was a king. So it's basically, he's saying this, so all the, th all the best that the Old Testament could give us, something greater is here right now. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Now, you fill in the blank. Something greater than sickness is here. Something greater than my job is here. Something greater than my finances is here. Something greater than my loneliness is here. And how about this one? Something greater than Washington, D.C. is here. Something greater than Wall Street is here. Something greater than my devastating loss is here. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to share, I want to go back to my... Emma's story, my story that I began with about hide and seek. Because as I was <clears throat> writing my notes for this a few days ago, and I was thinking about and reliving that story, I thought about her in that closet because she represents all of us. God is the one that seeks after us. He's looking for us. The Bible talks about God chasing us. We sing songs about it. And we're in that closet a lot of times. We're in the pantry closet, and sometimes that's the way we feel. We feel closed in all around us. Like we can't punch our way out. Hemmed in on every side in a dark and lonely place, hoping to get out of there. 
And we feel the pressure from life. We feel the pressure from politics. We feel the pressure from uh, the economy. We feel the pressure. And we just feel pressed in on every side. And in this place, in this, in this place where we are in straits, so to speak, narrow place, a, a place that we just feel like we can't get out of, the Bible promises that there's freedom, or, or even beyond the fourth wall, even if we had to live life on a stage like this. When God is promising us something greater and something bigger, something better that gives us freedom. I want to share two quick verses with you. David said, out of my distress I cried. And this word distressed means straits. Out of my distress I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and put me in a wide open place. And then he brought me out, of, out into a wide open place. He saved me because he delights in me. In other words, he set me free. So do you find yourself there today? Do you find yourself kind of pressed in on every side? Paul talked about that. He said we're pressed in on every side, but we're not, we're not defeated. Because something greater is here. Does your past haunt you? Something greater is here. Are you worried about the future? Something greater is here. A friend of mine told me he visited a, a missionary in a country in Africa one time, and they were in the car driving. And, and the country was experiencing a 1,000% inflation rate at the time. Think about that for a moment. If a loaf of bread had cost $2.50, now it costs $25. And my friend asked his missionary friend, he said, how in the world are you making it with 1,000% inflation? And the missionary said, calmly and as he drove, he said, I live in the kingdom of God. And, and my friend, like we all do, think, well, that's a good, that would make a good meme on, on Facebook. He said, no, no, really. I said, I, yeah, I get that, but, you know, really, how are you making it? He said, I live in the kingdom of God. No, I, I know, I know. We all say that, but seriously, I mean, how you, from day to day, I live in the kingdom of God. I live in a different realm. I'm not affected by this world. I'm not pushed and moved and feel the pressures of this world. He said, I live in the wide open spaces of the kingdom of God. I've broken through that fourth wall, and that's where I live. Okay, can we live there? I'll ask the uh, ones who pray to come forward and if stand together, and if you um, have a need for prayer, uh, I encourage you to come for prayer. Have the 
See? 